0: So our lesson for the morning is the meaning of wisdom in the text is James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, which in the Bible read as follows. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. God bless the reading of his word. and Let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say, and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Well now thank you very much for coming to church this week. Before we begin our next lesson let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to receive the mind of Christ. Meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ, in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, in our last lesson, we looked at the relationship between trials and the development of patience, perseverance, character, and hope, using the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as a case study. reviewed the account of Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane and discussed the fact that while Jesus had the ability to avoid the crucifixion, he made the decision to obey God by taking on his trial, knowing that our eternal salvation depended upon his capitulation to crucifixion on Calvary and that his ability to serve as our intercessor with God depended upon his calm, considered, calculated choice to give himself to those who plan to pierce him with eight inch roman roofing nails and the scripture exhorts us to emulate his decision and to give ourselves to that which god has in mind for us as hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 tells us therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thus, we should live our lives in such a way that at the end of our lives, we have a resume that indicates that we took on the tasks that the Lord set to our hands, even as Jesus took on the cross and became our intercessor at the right hand of God. And while it will probably not be ours to endure the cross, we are admonished to run the race that God has given us to run with endurance, taking on the trials that our race entails. Well, how do we do that? What is the key to serving God in the way that he wishes? In case we lack clarity as to what we can do, how we can do God's will in his way, that his, that our, that his kingdom might come, our text tells us in James chapter 1, verse 5-8, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives the all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, the act of asking God for wisdom does not necessarily entail a pilgrimage to some obscure and isolated place to personally commune in secret with the Most High God, as Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Listen to that which God told Moses before they communed on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 24 verse 12. The Bible says, and the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So God's plan for the dissemination of wisdom to Israel was to give Moses the commandments on tablets of stone so that Moses could take a written account of God's wisdom back to the Israelites and teach that which God gave him. God recognized that Moses would only have the ability to disseminate his wisdom for for a finite period of time. So God gave Moses his wisdom in written form on stone tablets that would outlast Moses the contents of which could be read by leaders in future generations to give future generations access to the wisdom of God. Thus, the key to asking God for wisdom is to study the wisdom that God has written and recorded in His Word. Looking at the chronology of the Old Testament, we see that God gave the Israelites wise principles that would enable them to function properly in the promised land before the Israelites actually entered the land. And that once the Israelites entered the land, God exhorted the leaders of Israel to live by the wisdom that he had already given them. In the book of Joshua, chapter one, verse eight, and nine, it describes how God exhorted Moses' successor, Joshua, as it says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So, the key to receiving wisdom from God is to meditate on the wisdom that he has given us in his divinely inspired written word, and then to apply that wisdom in our life situations observing to do that which is written in his word. And God promises, and promises us in our text, James chapter 1, verse 5, that we should ask God for wisdom and follow our request with diligent study and prudent application of the word of God, and God will produce experiential wisdom in us. Some of God's principles may initially be obscure to us in our lack of capacity to understand the things of God may not allow us to fully grasp the wisdom of God's principles until and unless we actually apply the principles in our lives. In other words, the trials and tribulations of life are God's laboratory in which we are to run the experiments that God's word dictates, and we will receive wisdom as we analyze the outcome of the experiments that we perform. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 through 9 says this about Jesus. Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cried and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed to God, asking for the wisdom to determine the proper course of action with respect to the cross. God instructed Jesus that it was wisest for him to go to the cross, and by obeying God, Jesus learned obedience by his passion experience and became the author of eternal salvation to those of us who are members of his church and have a saving knowledge of him. Thus, the wisdom of God became manifest to Jesus as he obeyed God's word, as it will also to us. And James chapter 1, verse 68 tells us, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. But let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, I've come to the conclusion that our study and application of God's word in our lives will allow us to receive the wisdom that we desire from God. That, my friends, is the premise of my argument and is my thinking, and is to my thinking a logical conclusion based upon an earnest and honest analysis of the scripture, but is not necessarily the conclusion to which we have all come, as there are some among us that think, to disobey God's word may bring them some benefits that obedience may not. As a matter of fact, the diversity of opinion as to whether or not we should obey God is the foundation of the problems that we have here on our planet. Now, to illustrate this point in our lesson, the story of the first interaction between man and God in the Bible bears repeating, the word testified that in the beginning, God created man and placed him in a wonderful garden with many fruit-bearing trees to provide the man's sustenance. In his wisdom, God gave the man one simple instruction. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 records, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So now God, in this passage of scripture, is clearly revealing his wisdom to the man. The man is allowed to freely eat his fill of any of the fruit bearing trees in the garden, with the exception of the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of which the man is not to eat because the fruit of the tree is poisonous if only the surgeon general could be this clear about what foods are helpful and what foods are harmful god's wisdom is impeccable he tells us exactly what to do and what to avoid in order to sustain life for what more can man ask but how can man best benefit from god's wisdom on this matter of food or on any other matter our text tells us in james chapter 1 verse 6 but let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So now the word of God is only benevolent and beneficial in his application if we decide to have faith in the word of God. And with our faith in the word of God, we are generally, generally left with confusion between two opinions and uncertainty as to which of the two opinions is accurate. Now listen to the, listen to, the sec, to the second opinion about the fruit of the tree as it enters into the conversation. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 7 records, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of his fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings." Now, in this case, the serpent identified in Revelations 22 as the devil and Satan, gave the woman an alternate opinion as to the poisonous nature of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." Now, when we have two opinions or two sets of instructions about a matter, it generally becomes incumbent upon us to decide which of the two that we will follow. And this need for a personal decision generally takes us into the arena of temptation. Now, in this case, the opinion of God that they ought not eat of the tree was clearly the logical opinion to follow. Both the man and the woman knew that God created them and that God placed them in the garden. The man and the woman walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day and were familiar with the goodness of the fruit of the trees that God had given them to eat. God gave the man and woman dominion over the animals and even cooperated with the man as he named the animals that God made. The man and the woman had a history of interaction with God that should have cemented the concepts of God's authority and God's benevolence in their minds. So the problem in this case was not a lack of reliability on the part of God, nor was it a lack of data about the fruit on the tree. The problem in this case is specified in the 10th commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. So now the sin in the garden was the sin of covetousness. God clearly tells us that we ought not covet, meaning that we ought not desire that which he does not designate to be ours. Now the temptation to covet requires two conditions, desirability on the one hand and then availability on the other. If the desirability is not there, the availability is not a temptation. And if the availability is not there, then the desirability is not a temptation. My wife can covet Denzel Washington all she wants and it does not bother me because I happen to know that he is not available. However, in a situation that combines uh, desirability with availability we find ourselves tempted to disobey the Word of God as they did in the garden. Now initially the fruit of the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil was unavailable because God told the man and the woman that the fruit was poison and the role of the serpent in the temptation was to convince the woman that the fruit was available And he did so by lying to the woman. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 and 5 records, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So now let me ask you, based upon the account that we have read of this incident, what credential did the serpent present to create confidence in the woman that his word was more knowledgeable than the word of God. Did the serpent perform some miracle that impressed her? Was the serpent carrying his PhD in botany under his arm? Had the serpent sampled the fruit and gave the woman his opinion with a cheek full still in his mouth? What evidence did the serpent present that would lead the woman to believe that the serpent had any authority or knowledge that would invalidate the word of God. Obviously, the serpent displayed no such credential. However, availability is only half a temptation. The other half is desirability. Genesis 3.6 records, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So now understand that both the word of God and subsequent events make it clear that the fruit of the tree is poison. was poison. The man and the woman died after a few hundred years, and the lifespan of mankind has decreased to the point that it is now less than a hundred years. The tree was actually poisonous. How could she possibly see that the tree was good for food when the tree was, in fact, poisonous? The fact of the matter is that, objectively, she could see no such thing. It would be as though I said that I saw a Boeing 747 sitting between the third and fourth pew in the church. I could not see any such thing because there is no such thing. So now, if the thing that the Bible says that she saw could objectively not be there, how is it that she saw it? Now, the answer to my question is that the woman saw what she desired to see. She wanted the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, although God forbid her from eating it because it was poison. She coveted the fruit of this particular tree And although God gave her access to the fruit of all the other trees in the garden, James explains the situation well in the 12th through 15th verse of the first chapter of his epistle, which says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. The woman's vision was augmented by her desire. She saw what she wanted to see that the fruit of the forbidden tree was good for food. Understand that there was no objective evidence that the fruit of the tree was not poison, only the word of someone with no credentials upon which to rest his serpent, his statement rather. The woman was not persuaded by the serpent, rather she was persuaded by her own desire. Now our text tells us in James chapter one, verse five to eight, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives the all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So God has promised us wisdom and has given us that which he has promised. But in order for God's wisdom gift to do us any good, we must have faith in the wisdom that God gives us. When you read the first three chapters of Genesis in your Bible, do you believe it to be literally true? Do you believe that God actually created the heaven and the earth in six days rested the seventh, gave the man his wife by fastening a rib taken out of his side during a deep sleep, planted a tree garden and gave man access to the fruit of all the trees in the garden except one? Do you believe that this really happened? Now many of us in here are college educated and some with advanced degrees. Others of us who are not here today are seeking college degrees and the rest of us are hopefully preparing to seek college degrees. We all have access to and knowledge of computers and are technologically advanced above many of our peers. We have access to libraries of interesting books, some on the walls in here. And through the medium of cable or satellite television, we have access to the latest news and education from points around the world, should we choose to access it. We are sophisticated, we are academicians, we are executives, we are managers, We have credentials. But my question is, what about Genesis chapter 1 through 3? Where do you stand on this issue? Is it a fairy tale like Cinderella meant to teach us something? Or is this an accurate account of the activity of the Almighty written and recorded in the divinely inspired written word of God? Now, this may be the most important question that you have to answer today. As James tells us, the wisdom of God is only available to us as we believe His word. Consider how your perspective would be changed if you decided to believe the word of God. And the Bible clearly teaches us that willful disobedience to God cuts off our access to Him. Genesis three, chapter twenty-two to twenty-four tells us. Then the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has come like one of us; has become like one of us." no good and evil and now lest he put out his hand and also take up the tree of life and eat and live forever therefore the lord god sent him out of the garden of eden to till the ground from which he was taken so he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden in eden and a flaming sword of which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life isaiah 59 verse 1 and 2 reinforces my opinion by saying behold the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins has his and his face from you, so that he will not hear. Now, if you actually believe God, how does that change your attitude about sin? Let me relate one biblical episode for the college students found in Daniel chapter one. Verse 3 through 5. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans and the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and 3 years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king so the boys had access to the king's delicacy and 3 years of training doesn't that sort of sound like college to you continuing with the scripture Daniel chapter 1 verse 6 to 8 now from among these sons of Judah were Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuch gave names. He gave Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Uzziah Abednego. But Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested from the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, the thrust of the scripture indicates that the food that the king gave his Israelite college students was on God's list of forbidden foods. And that it, and it could have been that the students were under a Nazarite vow not to drink wine, which is not a bad vow to take. Now, moving on, the scripture says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 9 through 20. Now, God brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this manner and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all of the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away the portion of the the delicacies and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. So now Daniel and his peers wisely chose to discipline themselves to avoid the king's delicacies and wine and to stick it through the diet which God commanded the Israelites. They came out ahead in all, of all their peers because of their belief in and in adherence to the word of God. Now there's a great deal of sin happening on college campuses under the auspices of, helpless, of harmless fun, although that which is considered fun is often anything but harmless. There are a great many classes being taught that endeavor to teach students that know the word of God the same lesson that the serpent taught the woman, that being that God's word is not true. Many in the leadership of secular colleges will ridicule you if you make it known that you have faith in the divinely inspired written word of God. Young people who might otherwise abstain from sin and adhere to the word of God, as did Daniel and his three friends, partake in sin because of their lack of faith and inability to withstand the attack on their Christian principles in the academic circles by the devil. And God is telling you today through the words of the Bible that I am repeating, that his word and his principles are still literally true and that true wisdom is found by serious, earnest, and honest study of and faith in and adherence to the divinely inspired written word of God. So as you return to college, listen to what the Bible tells us about how we should deport ourselves in that and in any environment. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 25 reads, Now, the works of the flesh are evidence, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against us there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. So God's word gives you a list of that which you should not do and that that which you should do and which you should not do now that you are responsible for yourselves. Parental supervision may not be available to you, but you should be like the Hebrew boys as you return to college and make the intentional conscious decision to live according to wisdom according to the dictates and doctrines of the divinely inspired written word of God as you continue on your collegiate quest for knowledge. And as you are faced with the challenges of your environment, remember our text for today, James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8, that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So have faith and do not doubt, and God will surely bring you out. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for this lesson, and we thank you for the word that you have given us the depth of the wisdom that is in it and the ability that you have given us to study it and we ask you that you would make us diligent students of your word that we might grow in grace and in the knowledge of jesus christ the author and finisher of our faith who died on calvary's cross and give us a right and a just right to the tree of life you've sent your spirit that we might be able to understand your word And we ask you to help us to avail ourselves of that, that we might be able to to have the wisdom that you have put there for us. And, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today. We ask that you give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Let us pray. Mr. God, our Father, we thank you this morning for those who are here and those who are traveling today. We're asking you, Lord, that you'd give those who are taking their kids back to college traveling mercies. And that you'd give those young people... uh, a mind that would prepare them for the experience that they are about to undergo in that college environment. That you'd keep them safe from all hurt, harm, and danger and give them the wisdom from your word and uh, from their experience that they might be able to live their lives in that environment in such a way that will be pleasing in your sight. Praying for Dr. Allen, uh, Brother Quarterman, Brother U.A.D., and my Brother and his uh, grandson Lincoln. We're asking that you'd bless in all these cases, and you know the need, and we're asking that you be with them and go with them and stand by. Praying, Lord, for Sister Ellen and those whom she's asked us to pray for. We're asking that you give her uh, relief in her physical body, that you would uh, alleviate the pain and give her flexibility and range of motion that she needs as she uh, is taking care of these grandchildren today. And we pray for them that they would continue to learn from the shame that we're doing with them here at the church. Also praying for Willie Allen and Ethel Artis, and for Ron Budden and the Carthen brothers Brian and William, for Sister Elston and Robbie Harris, for Seneca and Takika, for Henry Hersey and for Grace Pendleton, for Betty Pruitt and Arnold Winston, for Sister Evette Her- Hersey and Sister Deborah Morgan and Sister Lily Hersey and Sister Ethel Platter. We're asking you that you bless in these cases, that you'd also keep your keep keep uh, Sister Ethel Owens in your hand and. Brother Michael Tolliver, uh, Tolliver Michael Bragg, that you bless him as he is uh, preparing for kidney transplant. We're also asking you that you'd bless the store and allow it to uh, to work well and let let someone come in and patronize them, that they might be able to keep uh, keep the sustenance in the family going. Now, Lord, we're praying for the Beards, so for Marcia and Julian. We're asking that you bless them and also for Brother Young, that you would give give all of them the solutions to their personal problems that they might be able to, uh, solve them and be grateful and thankful to you, uh, for giving them the solution and the wisdom that they need. I'm praying for my wife and for my son. I'm asking that you give him traveling mercies as Paul may have to travel a long way this week. And we're asking you, Lord, that you would give him safety to get there and allow his journey to be for a profitable reason and let him have a profitable solution. Uh, when he when he goes there and allow him, Lord, to uh, come to the conclusion that would please him and give him what he requires. Also praying for Rachel Demers' mother, for sister, for Mother Z, uh, who's out in Bircham, and we're asking that you bless the staff out there as they minister to her. Brother Rodriguez, Brother Tyson, Mother Versa, Mother Wells, we're asking, Lord, that you'd also continue to bless Teresa who's pregnant but has diabetes and that you would allow her sugar to be regulated in such a way that she'd be able to carry the baby safely to term. Also for Winnie Thompson and for Mrs. Bard who is preparing for surgery, we thank you for the surgery that she's already had, how it has improved her quality of life, and we're asking you that you keep her safe from all hurt, harm, and danger until the next one comes, and then you would give the doctors that skill that they require to go through and open up those arteries and veins that might be blocked. Just praying, Lord, that you'd bless her and all that she's done. We're also praying for Rick, who's over in Iraq. We're asking you, Lord, that uh, you'd keep him safe. It's a dangerous situation over there, and they're sending home body bags every week. And we're asking you that you'd allow Rick to come back home, uh, not in a body bag, but on a troop transport with the rest of his squad, that they'd all be safe, that you'd keep them safe from all hurt, harm, and danger as they patrol the streets over there. Also praying for Nikki Owens and for Brian. We're asking that you continue to bless Brian as he improves in his situation. Uh, help his mind that he might realize what he is doing and understand the lessons that he's learned from his experience, that he might not duplicate the problems that he's had in the past. Praying for Sister Sarah Roberts and for Eric and Amanda, Lord. And we're asking you that you would resolve their situation, that you would give them. Um, that you didn't see in that in that case, Lord, and that you give them uh, some wisdom that they sorely need that they might be able to come to a, a good conclusion to their relationship. And we also pray once again for Paul as he travels to St. Louis. Praying for Sister Carruthers and we're also praying for Brother Edwards and his boys and we're asking you, and his wife as well, and we're asking you to bless their family as they go back to school this week. We ask you that you give them those steel-trap minds that they might be able to just uh, pick up everything that the teacher has to say. Allow them, Lord, to remember that which they need to know, that they might do well on all their tests, that uh, give them attentive minds, that they might be curious about the things that are being presented, that they might be interested, that they might learn, that they might continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And as we've said, we're praying for Sister Carruthers as well. Continuing in prayer for the fullers and their store across the street, for Uh, uh, Penny Rodula, whom uh, Brother Rick has asked us to pray for. We're asking you that our radiation treatments might go well. We're asking you that you bless Brother Lee and his family as they are traveling today uh, taking kids back to school. We just want you to go with them and stand by them, guide them and direct them in all that they do. Keep the road safe, let it rise to meet them and let the wind be at their back that they might be spared to the place to where they're going and then back home at the appointed time. Praying for Sister Durham and for the Smithwick family, uh, uh, for uh, the comfort of the striking family, for Brother Pillow, uh, for Sister Teddy. We ask that you bless in that case. Also, Brother Sanders. Uh, we want you to uh, bless uh, Brother Tyrone Davis and, and Sister Mary Gibbs, who is his sister, and that you would give that family comfort in their loss of their mother. And we just ask you, Lord, that you let those in that town uh, just... Uh, be arm bearers for the family. To hold him up during this hour of bereavement and pop him up on every leaning side. Make it possible for them to go through this uh, homegoing experience in such a way that they'll have a glorious testimony of your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Praying for the McClure's as well as they're uh, probably on their way to St. Louis or on their way back from St. Louis or having something to do with St. Louis. We just ask you, Lord, that you would go with them and stand by them as as their daughter goes back to school. And we're asking Lord that you would allow her uh, to continue to do well in that environment. Uh, just keep her, on the, keep her on the track as she prepares uh, to finish up this school year and, and, and take, take this internship this summer. Also praying for JJ as he's starting a new uh, academic career at Central Michigan University. And we're asking Lord that you'd allow him to uh, carry on his academic prowess there that he displayed in Kentucky. We just ask you, lord that you just go with him and stand by him keep him on the straight and narrow guide him in whatever way he's going praying for veronica holney and michael crab for mother mcclure in phoenix we ask you that you bless her and also for uh, the family of brother hokewater and we just ask you that you would uh, uh deal with his situation and, and allow him to have a miraculous recovery from that brain tumor that they might all that they might all lift up their hands and thank you for the goodness of your mercy and your grace. Continuing in prayer for Brother Kendall Robinson, whom J.J. has asked us to pray for, we ask you that he, he continue to recover from the stroke that he has had. Prayer for the Winston family, for Sister Winston and for Brother Winston, we ask you that uh, you give Brother Winston strength in his back as well. Uh, for their son, we ask you that you continue to uh, help him to, to grow and mature intellectually. And learn more about you. Also for Sister Donna Powell and for uh, Sister Lynn Porter as well. Now I'm praying for Dad, Lord, as he's getting ready to go in and schedule his eye surgery to have that cataract removed. I'm asking you that uh, although the doctor thinks it is a routine situation, we're just asking you to be in the room that uh, that the doctor's skill would be augmented by your grace. praying for Marvin as he starts a new school year as well and we ask you that you would Help him as he leads and guides those children. Praying for Uncle Jab as he has that spot on his kidney and his diagnosis is due tomorrow. We ask you, Lord, that you let it be benign, something that they can uh, take care of quickly that he might continue to enjoy his retirement and his family. Praying for Sister Frazier and for Brother Bowie as his uh, liver transplant is continuing. For Brother McGill as he's still doing well. For Aunt Naomi, Lord, we ask you that you allow her as well to enjoy her time as he and dad right up and down the, the highways and the byways of the city. Praying for uh, Brother Northern in Houston and for Brother Perkins in, in uh, La Ville, Louisiana. Bless those young men and their families, uh, those children that they are raising, and help them to raise them in the way that they should go, so that when they get old they will not depart from it. Praying, Lord, for Brother Russell in White Hills. We're, asking you that, we're thanking you that he's recovered from his situation and with the flu there, And we ask, Lord, that you give him swift access uh, to his wife, that she might be able to bring him home for a few days and that they might be able to enjoy one another's touch together as they've been separated uh, because of the quarantine that he's been in. We're still praying for Brother Sifford, who's in Iraq, uh, giving the good word to the troops. And we're asking that you continue to bless him, give him something to say that might bless them, and allow them, Lord, to uh, go out on their patrols uh, with their mind stayed on you. Praying for Brother Alexander Flanagan's leg as he's made it through the football season and he's going through the basketball season. We're asking that you continue to go with him and stand by him in all that he does. Now, Lord, we're praying for the television station, for the Forgotten Man Ministry, for those who are in our city because of their displacement by the hurricanes and those who are helping them. We're also praying for those who are in our armed forces around the world. And we're asking you that you keep them safe from all hurt, harm, and danger. Praying for the young men and women in this neighborhood, we ask that you restore sanity to those who are off the track and allow them to not kill one another, but that you would give them uh, another way to settle their disputes other than the final solution. And we also pray for the salvation of our family and our friends. I'm asking you, Lord, that you'd bless this place that you've given us here. We're thanking you for it and for the facilities, for all that go to make it up that we might be able to continue to put your word forward and someone might, uh, might gain from the sharing. And all I pray for my wife, who's the love of my life. I ask you to let, that you would bless her as she has to leave the dog at home and go back to work this week. And we ask you that you allow her to go back in peace and comfort, give her uh, command of her, uh, her, her environment there, that she might be able to have all things under her control and do all things well as she leads that group of troopers. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. The history of Christianity indicates that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross at a given date, about 32 years, at the beginning of the first century A.D., and then he was put into the grave and he rose from the dead on that first Easter Sunday morning physically. And we believe in this history because of all the testimony of history that it happened. And that we're here now looking at this bread and wine that he told us to take remembering his body and his blood that was shed for our sins and that we're saved by his sacrifice. So let us remember the history of all that Jesus Christ has done for us and let us remember him now as we eat and drink together. And I may the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit, rest in the Bible, with us now, henceforth and forevermore Let every heart say amen.